this morning's readings from uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, starting at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. In the Church Bible, it's on page 1172. And it's entitled, Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you, Graham. That was God's word that we heard just then. Let's pray again. Father God, we do ask you to teach us this morning and to transform us. And so in the words of the psalmist, uh, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Amen. Spiritual but not religious. Have you ever heard someone describe themselves as that? Um, I've met plenty of people uh, in my life that would describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Maybe that's how you describe yourself. Um, I don't know. Uh, that phrase might mean different things to, to different people, uh, but I think what it often means is that, that the person can acknowledge that there's more to life than this, than, than this stuff, but that they don't want to be bound by all the religious stuff that goes along with it. So you, you might consider yourself spiritual because you, I don't know, believe in ghosts, uh, or because you're afraid of death, uh, or because it helps explain some of your experiences, or, or because you believe in a, a particular deity. Um, but, but even if people believe in, in some higher power of some sort, something out there, uh, very often you'll find that they refuse to let that affect their behavior uh, in any way. They're, they're spiritual, but they're not religious. Uh, now, of course, as Christians... Uh, we would definitely consider ourselves spiritual. Uh, we believe in God. 
He's not just a deity. Uh, we, we believe in God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is living in us. So we consider ourselves spiritual. But do you consider yourself religious? Uh, we had a little bit of a discussion about this on Tuesday at home group. Um, now, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5 this morning. And in this chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with two possible errors that might creep into Christian thinking. Uh, the first is that some people might think that Christians uh, should be spiritual, but not religious. They'll say, I've been set free from the law, set free from my sin, I'm saved, and now I can do whatever I like. Uh, Paul says that way of thinking is wrong. But there's a second error that can creep in, and that is that Christians should be religious, but not spiritual. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin. I'll take it from here now, thank you. Uh, and the life is full of rules and regulations and rituals, but they don't live a life of love. They don't live by the Spirit. They don't keep in step with the Spirit, in phrases that we've heard in our Bible reading. Now, Paul's saying that Christians should be spiritual people, uh, and spiritual people are transformed by the Spirit, so it does have an effect on their lives. So let's see what Paul says. Uh, the first thing is that Christians, Christians have freedom from the law. Look at verse 13, if you've got your Bibles. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, that's good news, isn't it? We've actually jumped into the middle of a letter that, that Paul wrote to these churches in Galatia. So we, we've missed all the juicy bits that lead up to this. But the basic gist uh, is that these Christians had received the gospel, this good news that Jesus uh, died to save us from our sins because we couldn't keep the law that God had given. The law was good, we just keep breaking it. Uh, and that Jesus was punished instead of us. So that now Christians are forgiven we have a new life in Christ, and we have the, the certain hope of eternal life. That's really good news. That, that should be joyful things, you know, joyful stuff. But some of these Christians thought that that wasn't enough. Uh, they thought that Christ's death wasn't enough for them. So now they need to keep all the Old Testament laws and customs and rituals. Otherwise, they couldn't be saved. You, you have Christ plus everything that went before. And Paul has tried throughout the book of Galatians to argue very strongly that Christians are free from the obligations of the Old Testament law. We're free from that way of life. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And he, he clings to this truth that Jesus Christ, his death for us, that the, the gospel message is all we need for salvation. Now, there were some Jewish Christians who were stirring up trouble. Uh, they were causing some Christians to doubt their salvation. Well, you, you've not been circumcised, therefore you can't be a Christian. Uh, they were causing other Christians to abandon Christ and to rely on their own good works for salvation. And Paul needs to address it. Uh, and so in verse 13, he declares, you were called to be free. And this is the gospel, that though we do fail miserably and utterly uh, in keeping God's law, 
that though we deserve punishment by God for all our sinful acts, that Christ died for our sins, and now we have been set free from the punishment we deserve. Praise the Lord. Um, but it's more than that. But because Christ kept the law perfectly, we're also free, if we're in Christ, we're free from having to keep and observe all the rules and regulations and customs of the Old Testament law, because we're never able to keep that law anyway. So, so we're free from our punishment. We're also free from our obligation to the law. Uh, and Paul actually writes it a different way at the beginning of the chapter. In verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, It is for freedom that you have been set free. That's good news. Uh, and maybe for some of you this morning, uh, that is the message that you need to hear. That all your sins, uh, all your failings, uh, have been dealt with as Jesus died on the cross. That's the heart of it. The, the, the gospel uh, is at the center of everything we proclaim. Uh, that is good news, the good news of the gospel. Some of you might feel weary that all those things that you've tried to do to somehow uh, atone for your own sins, uh, and yet you feel like it's never quite enough. Well, there's good news for you this morning, uh, that Christ Jesus atoned for your sins, so that you don't have to. You are free from that. And Paul puts it another way in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise God for that. Whether you've been a Christian for, for many years, or whether that message uh, has only dawned on you for the first time today, praise God that he has set us free. It's for freedom that you've been set free. Now, I, I don't know what freedom means to you. Maybe uh, for some of you, freedom will be finishing exams, uh, handing in the dissertation, uh, just looking forward to a summer of not really doing very much. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's uh, being self-employed. That's freedom, to, to be your own boss. Maybe it's the idea of going traveling for a while and not really having a, a plan or an agenda, just going wherever the wind blows. Maybe that's freedom for you. Just be free. And it's something I think we all strive for one way or another. It's kind of ingrained into us, the idea of wanting to be free from our shackles, uh, free from anything that ties us down um, so that we can do whatever we want to do. And so, although we all want freedom of some sort, and even though Christ offers us freedom in the gospel, uh, Paul gives us a warning about how we use that freedom. And that's the second point uh, this morning. We're to use that freedom to crucify the flesh. We've got freedom to crucify the flesh. He goes on in verse 13. Uh, you're free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now that all sounds a little bit weird uh, if you're not used to, to hearing about flesh and crucifixion. Um, indulging the flesh, crucifying the flesh, what, what is all that about? Surely, as we've already heard, the only crucifying that he's doing is Christ crucified on our behalf. Well, look down at, at verse 24. Uh, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What is he talking about when he talks about the flesh? Well, um, some translations put it a bit differently. They talk about the, the sinful nature rather than the flesh. Uh, and although the word really literally does mean more like flesh, uh, 
it helps us get a better picture, a better understanding of it, if we think of it as the, uh, the sinful nature. Uh, but still, it might not be very clear what that means. Um, so the, the flesh, the, the sinful nature, is what characterized our life before Christ stepped into the picture. Do uh, you see that in verse 24? We have a, a sinful nature, the, the flesh, uh, with sinful passions and desires. Uh, those passions and desires lead to death, but we'll, we'll see that in a minute. And when Christ steps into the picture, we put those desires, we put those passions away. We kill them. We don't want anything to do with the old way of life, the, the, the way of life that rebels against God. Our sinful nature, our, our flesh, uh, is what leads us to rebel against God and to break his law and do all sorts of things that are not godly in any way. And Paul is saying in verse 13, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You're free from the law. You don't have to meet all the requirements of the law. Uh, the law was put in place uh, because human beings have this sinful nature that needs restraining. But if you're a Christian, although we're free from the law and the obligations of the law, uh, we should want nothing to do with that way of life anymore. So we crucify it. We destroy it. I think it was in the, uh, the 1960s, there was a, a real trend, particularly in America, for Christians to destroy things that represented pop culture and, and anything uh, that was perceived as ungodly. So rather famously, that the Beatles went on tour in America, and there would be mass gatherings of, of young people burning Beatles records uh, on big bonfires. And now all the, the record collectors are, are weeping at the loss of some prime vinyl uh, for their collection. But, but people were taking this really seriously. They wanted to show that they want nothing to do with what, whatever they perceived as sinful at the time. They want nothing to do with the, the sinful nature, the, the flesh. So I asked you this morning, how do you feel about your sin? Do you even know it's there? Do you recognize the sinful nature? And if you do know it's there, if you, you recognize that you do sin, are you battling against it? Are you seeking to crucify it? Are you trying to get rid of it? Or as someone else has said, um, do you treat your sin as a, a bit of a pet? You, you sometimes have these pet sins that you, you don't really want to get rid of, because they've brought you so much comfort over the years, uh, and it'll be hard to get rid of them, and, and surely Christ died for my sins, so I can just stroke it and feed it a little bit longer. Paul says, no, uh, don't indulge the flesh. Uh, verse 16, don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't give it what it wants. Don't feed the pet. Why? Uh, because indulging the flesh leads to destruction. Uh, look at verse 15. Paul is saying that if you indulge the flesh, it's inevitably going to affect your relationships with the people around you. It's destructive. If you bite and devour one another, uh, which is what living by the flesh does for you, uh, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He's saying it's a bit like... Uh, when the Romans would throw people to the wild beasts uh, for sport or for punishment. Um, Paul talks about being thrown to the wild beasts in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so it was definitely on his radar. Uh, but he says that if you indulge the flesh, you're basically no better than the Romans, chucking people to the wolves and the lions for sport. 
You're devouring one another. You've been set free from all that. Uh, So why would you want to keep going back into that arena? Don't feed the lions. Don't indulge the flesh. And he says because the the flesh, the, the sinful nature, wants stuff that is in opposition to what the spirit wants. Verse 17, uh, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. It's like two magnets repelling one another. Um, Or it's like being in the middle of a a tug of war between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, If the tug of war lasted long enough, you could probably starve the other team so that they get weaker and weaker, and then eventually you can win. But so often in our Christian life, we're trying to feed the other team. We're trying to indulge the flesh. We're trying to gratify it. And then we wonder why we see no progress in our Christian life. So what does it look like when people uh, indulge the flesh instead of living by the Spirit? Um, We read in verse 19 uh, to 21 that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Um, you probably don't need anyone to tell you what kind of things are inappropriate for Christians. Um, even the world gets this. Uh, I've often heard people over the years describe uh, certain behaviours of some Christians, uh, and, and they say, well, that wasn't very Christian, was it? So people understand this. They, they get some kind of grasp, however flawed it is, they get some kind of grasp of what is appropriate for a Christian Uh, to do, how it's appropriate for a Christian to behave. So in some ways it is obvious, but nevertheless Paul spells it out for us. Uh, He starts with the the kind of things that describe our sexual purity. Uh, These are the kind of things that our culture is quite happy with or even promotes. Um, Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Uh, And and he says that indulging the flesh is selfish and self-centred. If you're indulge in the sinful nature, indulge in the flesh, then why not sleep with whoever makes you feel good? Why not see other people as objects for your own gratification? Why bother sticking to your own husband or wife? If all that matters is the flesh and my own desires, then I can do whatever I like. And those are dangerous paths to go down. It's destructive. And we see countless relationships destroyed uh, because of those things. Then he goes on to talk about the kind of religious sins, uh, idolatry and witchcraft. Uh, If I'm indulging the flesh, if I'm being selfish, I'm going to choose a god, an idol, uh, who will do whatever I want him to do, uh, who will maximize the benefits to me. That's idolatry. Uh, Or I'm going to turn to witchcraft and sorcery to make these spiritual forces bend to my will. Uh, or you've got the kinds of things he goes on to say in the second half of verse 20, uh, the kind of things that describe what happens when our relationships with each other go wrong. We're living by the flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. When we harbour hatred towards one another, when Unity of any kind uh, is hard to come by because of the level of discord. When we resent other people because we're jealous. 
when things aren't going our way because uh, so, so, so we get angry and we see fits of rage uh, where selfish ambition leads us to, to push other people down so that we can get a leg up. And when we're so obsessed with winning the argument, with being right, uh, that disagreements and dissensions uh, are rife. Uh, and then he, he mentions a couple of other kinds of sins that don't fit with a spirit-led life. These are uh, ways of living by the flesh, the, the acts of the flesh. He talks about drunkenness and orgies, a complete lack of self-control, and maybe encouraging others to do the same. It's every man for himself. And in case that list wasn't big enough for you, he finishes that list with saying, and the like. Meaning, there's plenty more where that came from. If you want to know what sin looks like, just look around you. There's plenty of sinful nature, acts of the flesh, all around us, wherever we go. Now, because the acts of the flesh are obvious, he says, um, if you're sat there asking yourself, well, is that action technically sinful? Uh, then there's a good chance that you're trying to gratify the desires of the flesh and you're just trying to find an excuse. Um, just put it away. Kill it. Crucify the desires of the flesh. And don't treat this list as an exhaustive list. And so I'll ask you, do, do those kind of things describe your life this morning? If so, then Paul says you'd you better watch out. Uh, those who live like this, who embrace this kind of living, at verse 21, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is no eternal hope, no eternal life, no future for you in the kingdom of God if you live like this, if you embrace this kind of living. Now, you might actually be sitting there this morning and thinking, God, that describes me. And, and you've got this feeling of dread and sadness that comes over you as you realize that maybe there is no hope. Well, I want to say to you that there is hope because as we said before, Christ died for all those sins. Uh, and that's the whole point of Galatians is to, to reinforce the fact that Jesus died for our sins and there's nothing more we can do to earn our salvation. So if that's you this morning, if you're battling with some of those sins this morning, take heart because Christ died for sin. But don't give up that battle. Don't give up the battle. Uh, remember how the, the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another? Like the magnets opposing one another, they're in conflict with one another. It's a battle. So no wonder we struggle. Uh, if you weren't struggling with these things, then I'd probably be quite worried. So keep on struggling. Keep on struggling against sin, against the flesh, the, the sinful nature. But if you're living like this and you have no intention of resisting sin, of fighting the battle, of struggling against the flesh, then you really should be disturbed this morning. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which means if you think that Christ saved you so you can do whatever you like now, and pursue those things that are in conflict with the Spirit, then you're wrong. And frankly, you're in danger of eternal damnation. And it is a scary, scary thought. Christ saved you so that you can be free from the law. But that's not freedom to do whatever you like. 
So repent, turn away from these things, uh, and trust in Christ for salvation, and follow the Spirit's leading. We've thought a lot about the acts of the flesh. Uh, And so the final thing we're going to think about this morning is that in Christ we have freedom to live by the Spirit. We've got freedom to live by the Spirit. So we've heard what not to do. That should be fairly clear by now. Uh, What do we do now? As Christians, we've been saved, forgiven of our sins. We've tried to crucify the flesh. What kind of things should characterize our life now? Well, just compare verse 22 with verse 19. We've just thought about the acts of the flesh, and now we're talking about the fruit of the spirits. Meaning, rather than something we do, acts, the fruit of the Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit does in us and for us. The fruit of the Spirit is what naturally grows out of us when we're following his leading and when we're not indulging the flesh and gratifying its desires. Verse 16 says, Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you want to battle against sin, the antidote is to live by the Spirit. Now this is, excuse me, this is not a new law, uh, it's not a new rule book, it's not a, a list of do's or don'ts. The, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of a relationship. It's, it's the natural produce that comes from living by the Spirit. Uh, we're free from the law, and now we have the Holy Spirit working in us to produce good fruits. So what is that fruit of the Spirit like? Just like you could describe an apple as round-ish and crisp and juicy and red, uh, Paul describes what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And it's a a set of characteristics that can affect any behavior. Uh, If we were talking about a new rule book, uh, then we would just be adding rules on top of rules. Uh, You see this all the time. Lawmakers will never be out of a job. Uh, People always find new ways around the law or new ways of doing bad things. And so a new law has to be drafted. And so the various law codes throughout human history uh, have expanded over time to the point where you need to have studied law for years and years and years to have any kind of idea whether something's illegal or not, whether something works or not. Uh, And I know some of you have studied law, and and you'll know that firsthand. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't uh, a rule book. It's not a new list of uh, things to do. But it's a a list of attitudes that shape every part of our lives. It's like the difference between uh, decorating a Christmas tree uh, and picking apples from an orchard. The the Christmas tree looks beautiful. The apple tree looks beautiful. But one is just a dead stick with some shiny bits on it. And the other is a a living thing that's producing uh, life-giving fruits. That's the difference. And so that's what it means to live by the Spirit, to allow him uh, to transform every part of our life so that we keep in step with him, verse 25. And it's an antidote to the desires of the flesh. Uh, So instead of indulging in lust, we become more loving. Christian people are known for their love for one another and for God. Uh, We become more joyful. Uh, Rather than seeking happiness in worldly pleasures, we actually find deep-rooted joy in God and in his goodness and his grace to us. 
and the million and one blessings that he pours out on us. Uh, Instead of discord and disunity and dissensions, we love and promote we promote peace and forbearance. Uh, instead of obsessing about getting what I want, we get angry when you know, we don't get what we want and we try to stop other people getting what they want. Instead of those things, we become kind and gentle and good. And instead of drunkenness and orgies, we, we grow in self-control. And do you see how the Holy Spirit working in us does away with the need for, for massive rule books. Because verse 23 says, against such things there is no law. How are you going to legislate against gentleness and kindness? So all that means that if we let the Spirit work his way in our lives, if we live by the Spirit, Paul's phrase, then we have no need for a law. We've had the Old Testament law, people have got used to that. There's a certain way of doing religion. And it feels uncomfortable stepping away from that. What's going to happen if we step away from the law? Well, if we step away from the law towards the Spirit and we let the Spirit work in his life, then we have no need for that law. The law uh, is kind of written on our hearts, if you like, that the Holy Spirit is transforming our attitudes from the inside. Then we don't need the law on the outside telling us what to do. And so to, to, to finish off this morning, I wonder, are you walking in step with the Spirit? Verse 25. Is your life characterized by love and joy and peace and so on? It's the Spirit that gives us life. The only reason we're alive spiritually is because we live by the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to live by the Spirit, then we need to keep in step with the Spirit. So are you nurturing that fruit uh, this morning? Are, are you nurturing the, the love, the joy, the peace, the, the forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or are you wandering into the orchard and spraying weed killer everywhere and, and living by the flesh and seeking to destroy not just your own life, but the lives of people around you? Maybe some of you consider yourselves quite spiritual. We thought this morning at the beginning about how you know, people often think of themselves as spiritual but not religious. Well, if you consider yourself spiritual, then are you showing this fruit? Because if you're not, then there's a good sign that you're not being led by the Spirit. You're not living by the Spirit and being guided by Him. The Spirit isn't being allowed to work in your life. For some people, being spiritual uh, is a way of allowing them to, to kind of do fancy things and uh, feel like they're invincible and, and things like that. No. If the Spirit is working in your life, he may give you gifts to use to bless the church and bless one another. But first and foremost, he works fruit in our lives. That love and joy and peace. So, are you spiritual? Are you religious? Uh, I hope you're both. I hope you're spiritual in the sense that you live by the Spirit. And I hope you're religious in that you allow the Spirit to transform every part of your life. Not as a list of rules of do's and don'ts, but as uh, a way of walking with God.
If you're not spiritual this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never uh, known the freedom that comes uh, from him, from the gospel, then I urge you to put your trust in him this morning. Uh, If you consider yourself quite religious but not spiritual, then again, put to death the, the old way of life and follow Christ and walk with the, sti- with the Spirit. And all of us, whatever our, our stage in life, whatever our position in church, we all need to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And let's help each other to do that as well. Let's pray, and then I'll hand back to Dan. Father God, we thank you for the freedom that you've shown us in Christ. We thank you for the gospel, uh, the gospel that we've been singing about uh, so frequently this morning already, that though we are sinners, you have forgiven us, you've saved us, redeemed us, you've given us eternal life, you've given us an inheritance in the kingdom of God. These are all amazing things, and we praise you for them this morning. But Lord, as we uh, acknowledge our, our freedom in Christ, Lord, help us to use our freedom to walk with you, to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. So Lord, help us as a church to encourage one another in that. Help us to to value the the fruit of the Spirit and to uh, enjoy it where we see it and to, to acknowledge it and praise you for it where we see you working in each other's lives. And where we can help each other to, to crucify the flesh, help us to do that. And Lord, we don't do these things because we have great intelligence or strength or, or anything of ourselves, but because we have you. And so we thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for all that he does for us and everything that he gives to us. And we pray that you would help us uh, to live by the Spirit truly. In Jesus' name, amen.